Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, uh, Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. All the, all the reporters tune in to us to find out what the heck is going on. And with us in the studio, we have two people who are very familiar with Albany, and you'll find out why that's important in today's show. We have Ed Cox, the former chairman of the GOP, and the former chairman of the Democratic uh, uh, State Committee. Uh, we have uh, Governor, ex-Governor, I hate, I'm not going to say ex, Governor David Patterson, thank you for being here. And, and on uh, the on the uh, also on the phone, on the phone, Judge, Judge, Judge Weinberg. Richard Weinberg. And I understand some breaking news. Some breaking news. WABC. Well, troubles in Albany. Will Governor Hochul's nominee for chief judge be confirmed? It's not looking good. Let's go to Melissa DeRosa. Melissa, what the heck is going on up there? I understand there's troubles. Great to be with you guys tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's the understatement of the century, John. If you, you do not want to be Kathy Hochul right now with this uh, with this Court of Appeals nominee. It, earlier today, the, the 11th and 12th senators came out on the record saying that they were opposed to Judge LaSalle's nomination to be the first Hispanic Court of Appeals chief judge. And um, then you had Brad Hoyleman, who is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, a very powerful post came out and told the press that if you if you need Republican votes in order to get LaSalle confirmed, he is not going to put the vote on the floor for the nomination on a, on a floor for a full vote. And at this point, they could only lose 11 and they've now lost 12. So, you know, I am seeing people say, oh, what's is, there's a very narrow path. By that logic, there is no path. This is dead. But, so, M- Melissa, Ed Kutcher, you mean that 12 out of 63 state senators can prevent a preeminent jurist, the presiding justice of the second department, uh, uh, and a leading Hispanic jurist not to be the chief judge? They can do that? Just 12 out of 63? I mean, yeah, Mr. Chairman, you and I have lived through a lot of these judges. It's interesting because when Governor Cuomo was governor, we had a Republican Senate for much of the time that we were in office. And even the Republicans would put our nominees on the oh, floor. Oh, look, I, I was on that commission on judicial nomination for 19 years, including under Mario Cuomo, uh, yep. nominating, uh, nominate, and nominating, put, talking about them. And I got to tell you, the object of that was to get high quality. And we have seven high quality candidates. And she picked the best of them. And the second uh, person is really, uh, 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 very good to be the, to be the administrative judge. It's it's a terrific combination. It is. And, you know, it's really interesting because, as we said before, Republicans, Democrats have been criticizing Republicans for politicizing the Supreme Court. And now we're essentially saying if you we don't if you don't line up with our politics enough, we're not even going to give you a, a fair hearing. And so we're sort of doing the same thing we criticize national Republicans for doing. And again, you know, this has been one of those judges have historically in Albany been one of those issues that has been very bipartisan in nature. People care deeply about the quality of the judges that you're putting on the Court of Appeals, and it's supposed to be apolitical. Now, obviously, there's always litmus tests, right? People ask all the Supreme Court nominees, do you support, will you uphold the precedent of Roe v. Wade? But that's traditionally to make sure that judges aren't going to buck precedent. It's 
it's very interesting in this instance where it seems the criticism is coming at this judge because LaSalle had upheld the law in some instances in ways that people didn't like politically. And so it's an interesting, we're sort of treading into dangerous territory here in terms of politicizing the court. But what's crazy, Chairman and Governor in the room is, and I know Judge Weinberg is on the phone, you, I'm sure you all have opinions on this, is that you have a Democratic governor with a Democratic supermajority. She puts this out and it almost instantaneously blows up. And so I don't understand what her her staff was doing. I don't understand what they did vis-a-vis giving people heads ups or making sure you had the votes in your pocket before you go forward. And if this goes sideways, which I, I really don't see how they recover from this, it's going to be a colossal embarrassment. Melissa, this is David Patterson, and I want to ask you some questions about process. Uh, I didn't know that the chair of a committee would be emboldened enough to actually say that he would block the bills from coming from the floor. Now, we know that chairs of committees have blocked bills from going places forever, but they never actually came out and said it. And if he's actually saying it, I don't see how he could say it without the express consent of the leader, uh, uh, Stuart Cousins. So it's just very strange that that would actually happen. And frankly, if I felt the way he did and I wanted to stop it, I wouldn't open my mouth. I wouldn't say a word. I would just wait till the bill got in committee and uh, go on vacation for a while. You know, I'm sort of speculating here, but what I what I think is going on behind the scenes is, you know, the Times Union reported two days ago that 15 to 20 of the Democrats oppose, even though at that point only 10 publicly opposed. And then I did my own sort of reconnaissance and I learned that number is actually 21 Democrats that are opposed. But, you know, they're not all raising their hands in the press. I think some of them actually are a little bit embarrassed to preemptively say we didn't even give this guy a hearing, but we're against him. But I think that they're trying to kill this behind the scenes and get the governor to preemptively pull back the nomination, and it's not working. And so now they're ratcheting up the public pressure and saying to her, if you stare us down, we're not going to blink. So, you know, if what you want to embarrass Melissa? this guy, have at it. Melissa, it's Richard Wamper. What about a, uh, a petition to discharge from the committee That's to get it on the floor? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't know procedurally if that's a play that they could that they could do here. But what Hoyleman had said today to the press was, I'm not if if this can't get confirmed solely with Democratic votes, I will not advance him out of committee and it will not this be is, a floor vote. This is very dangerous because fundamentally what Janaris and Janaris is really behind this is doing. He's trying to pack the court with left wing ideologues, people who were empowered by and beholden to the Working Families Party and the Democratic Socialists. And what that means is you're not going to have an honest and fair judiciary, and you're going to have them rubber stamping left-wing regulations, taxes, all kinds of public policy that are harmful to the state. You have almost 500,000 people have fled the state in the last two years, and if the left-wing is not put in check, you're going to have more leaving. You're talking about the destruction of this this great state. This is a very serious nomination. But I don't think that this type of a situation can be discussed in political terms, even though we know that they actually are there, because in the end, it's really supposed to be the ability of the judge to look at a case and and address it, not by their own political beliefs, but by the law, what they believe the law says. 
You know, it's everything everything you guys are saying is dead on. And and here's what I'll take this a step further. Again, Janet DeFiori, who was sort of run out of town on a rail because the Democrats, Daenerys, the Democrats in the Senate put these gerrymandered lines out on the redistricting case. And they were challenged in court, not just by the Republicans, also with the League of Women Voters, which is a good government group which is nonpartisan, and they challenged this saying this is unconstitutional, and it went all the way up to the Court of Appeals, and the Court of Appeals gave, handed down a decision that struck down the line. I can't and, believe how, how stupid that senator could be to say if Republicans are going to vote for it, how does he know what the, what the vote is going to be? You know? Yeah, well, and, well, and the, the larger problem, John, to me is, as somebody who's been in government for a long time, as well as, well as you guys have been in and around government for a long time, the fact that they're not even going to afford him a hearing, it's basically saying the process is a joke. This is not about the quality. This is not about the process. This is about the politics. And we're not even going to hear his explanation on why he you know, rendered certain decisions. And we are going to dismiss his entire body of work because you know, the labor unions and the far left wing of the party – are against him, and I think that is a very dangerous. So why did? But Sen- it was one of the seven judges that the, the, they put up, or and they approved the seven judges they put up. He's one of them. Well, they didn't approve the one, one of the seven judges. It's a, a panel that is a judicial screening panel. It's an independent panel that assesses judges based on their you know previous work, and they sort of rank them as qualified, very qualified. And he was very qualified. He was the top of the list. He has a, a long, distinguished career, and you know he's. I, I think he's going to be really embarrassed and sort of regret getting into bed with Kathy Hochul because I just don't think she's got the political chops to do this. And From- it doesn't seem like the legislature has much respect for her decision here. And now that they've sort of broken this out into the open, it's it's going to be worse for her and for Justice LaSalle because it's going to be a public humiliation. Well. I think we have to go day to day on this. Uh, I'm, uh, Melissa, you know, I'm working tomorrow morning, me and Curtis for, on behalf of Sid uh, uh, in the morning. So I'll be here and we'll be here tomorrow night again. So let's uh, let's uh, keep monitoring it and we'll find out what the heck is going on. All right. Sounds good, guys. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. And next, it's uh, another similar thing. Uh, there's a big problems in Buffalo. And it looks like Albany could have screwed up. They could have handled it better. We have the sheriff of Erie County, which covers Buffalo, on with us. Big problems in Buffalo. With us today is uh, Erie County uh, Sheriff's Office and Sheriff uh, John uh, C. Garcia. And uh, he Erie, uh, Buffalo is within Erie County. Uh, sheriff Garcia, tell us where... Where the heck are we with uh, the problems we've had in Buffalo? Unfortunately, now we've gotten to the point where uh, we're out of the rescue mission that we had. Uh, People freezing in their homes, people freezing in their cars uh, to the recovery phase. So um, we've had 40 casualties regarding the that are storm related. And uh, we are doing welfare checks with our partners at the Buffalo Police Department, uh, the National Guard is here, military police, and uh, just checking on neighbors that haven't been seen in some days. And, and, you know, um, I'm hoping that we are out of the woods with the casualties, but uh, 
that's the uh, phase we're in now. Uh, there's no driving bans anywhere within uh, the county of Erie. The roads are down to the pavement, and we're having a uh, heat wave into the 40s now. Wow. Uh, so what a difference. It, it looks like so the streets are relatively uh, getting clear, and uh, uh, the uh, and the cars are getting around, and uh, are the businesses open? Uh, businesses are are starting to open, and uh, uh, essential workers and um, everyone else is is getting to work now, as of today. Um, but I have to tell you, and uh, uh, I turned sixty this year, and in my time here in Erie County, fifty-seven years, I have never seen anything like this. Uh, the blizzard of seventy-seven, um, which took twenty-eight lives, and were freezing uh, temperatures with wind. This storm, sir, even though we were told it was coming and uh, it was referred to as a generational storm, a uh, storm uh, named uh, uh, a bomb cyclone, I believe it was. And let me tell you, the 70-mile-per-hour the winds with the snow caused zero visibility. So the domino effect was we couldn't get the plows on the street safely for the plow drivers to stay on the roadways, the power lines went down, uh, causing um, uh, people to lose electric, to lose heat. And our first responders braving the elements and not taking no for an answer to get to stranded motorists uh, that or didn't obey the driving ban or were caught off guard coming home from work because the storm hit on the 23rd, um, a little earlier than uh, uh, we expected. Uh, have you learned any lessons from this? Uh, now, and I did hear you before when you did say to me uh, just before we went on uh, on the radio uh, that the fact that Erie uh, Lake is not frozen over yet, and that's what causes the uh, extra, extra, extra snow. Is that why it happens? Yes. So. Uh, we've had two major storms already this year, and uh, we had one right at Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, we had about six feet dumped uh, in the uh, city and the county, and then this one was a much worse because, you know, we could deal with the snow. Uh, the, the Thanksgiving storm, we had three casualties. They were all related to cardiac issues as people were uh, shoveling their driveways. But this snow, sir... Um, was compounded the, uh, with the 70-mile-per-hour uh, winds, and the visibility was zero. I was driving uh, out there, and um, I, I'll tell you, I, I was trying to look for any type of marker to stay on the roadway, and uh, our vehicles got through. What we've learned about this is that we need uh, equipment to, to deal not only with a snowstorm, but with a, a blizzard. And what really came in handy were our um, snowmobiles and our, um, our, our vehicles with, with, with traction. That looks, they look like mini tanks. So those came in very handy. However, you have to transport those throughout the county in trailers, and you have to, you have to get them there. Um, we, we always have to get better, always have to get better, and that's what we are doing now. We're uh, doing an after-action uh, report and assessment on how to get better. It's 2022. 
and losing 40 people in a storm is unacceptable. That is uh, it's a, lot, a big number, losing what? What's the final number? Maybe I hope it's the final number, 32? Uh, right now, we uh, the updated number as of today is 40. 40? Oh, my God. 40 people, uh, many of those froze to death, which is just a terrible, terrible death. And um, they, they died in their cars. They died walking. I, I walked a, a, a couple city blocks uh, during the height of it, and um, I was completely exhausted. This weather just, um, just really batters the body with any, any skin exposed. And um, so, I, you know, it's gut-wrenching as a first responder, sir, yes. uh, to, to see these numbers. Uh, most of the numbers, if not 90%, came from the city of Buffalo. And, um, and it's just, you know, it, again, it's unacceptable in 2022, Erie County in the United States, to, um, to not be able to get to citizens that are in need of, of rescue. And you could imagine how our dispatchers that were fielding these calls of panic the trauma that, that they feel now, uh, this helplessness that they felt for 48 hours, the uh, first responders, uh, law enforcement, the Erie County Sheriff's Office, deputies, uh, firemen, that their rigs were the, stuck in the snow, and they couldn't get to people having cardiac arrest issues, uh, diabetics. But we saved a lot of lives. But... Mm -hmm. And what would you do different next time? Next time is um, we, 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 we have to make sure that people understand the severity of, of this. You know, in, in Buffalo, we're, we're used to big snowfalls. So I think what happens is people say it's, another, it's going to be another storm. We've dealt with it. We, we, could get, we could get through. This was unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, the freezing temperatures with the, uh, the zero visibility – if you ventured out in your car, you're not going anywhere. There were uh, drifts, snow drifts that were seven, eight feet tall, and uh, the car was not going anywhere. So I think people realize that when there's a driving ban, they have to take it seriously. Another thing is, uh, again, better equipment, and, um, and, and that saved a lot of lives. But if we had more of it, obviously uh, we, we could have – you know, uh, had our deputies uh, out there uh, much more. Understood. Well, uh, Sheriff uh, John Garcia, thank you for talking to us and bringing all uh, Americans up to date. And uh, God bless you and uh, God bless uh, the people of Buffalo. And I hope uh, I hope the worst is over. Yes, sir. We've uh, we've been on the national news way too often this year between the two storms that we've had. And the active shooter uh, it back in May at the tops on uh, Jefferson. So hopefully the next time you see uh, us on the major uh, news stations, it will be uh, the Buffalo Bills uh, having a Super Bowl parade. I look forward to that. I know all my people that, that work for us up there are, are Buffalo Bills fans. Well, uh, God bless you for what you do and for the information you put out. And I very much appreciate it, as does the uh, entire Erie County Sheriff's Office.
Thank you. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much. You know, uh, somebody just messaged me, and they they believe this could have totally been preventable. Somebody that lives in Buffalo, he said, why were we given just a 40-minute storm warning and not a 24-hour warning? People were already at work. Had they known it was going to be this catastrophic, this storm, they should have shut down all businesses, all roads, and these 40 people, most of whom froze to death in their cars, you know, it wouldn't have happened because they were trying to get back. Let's go to Bert Flickinger. He's a retail expert. Bert Flickinger, how are you? One of the founding members of uh, Buffalo. Yes. One of the founding families. Yes. And and John and Lydia, a key thing that uh, from your great collective discussion with Melissa DeRosa yesterday and earlier today and Sheriff Garcia and, and John and Lydia, your friend Bruce Blakeman, Nassau County Executive with Mark Poland Karens. Uh, Erie County Executive, great bipartisan support, and but uh, Lydia's completely correct um, that everything was done a week in advance before the blizzard of 77, and, and instead of, as Lydia referenced, less than an hour in advance, and the loss of life was double this time versus what it, what it was in 77, and a lot of corrective action uh, needs needs to be taken. And again, congratulations to Sheriff Garcia and uh, County Exec Mark Poland, Karens in Erie County, and Bruce Blakeman. Uh, just uh, just outstanding uh, crisis uh, re- response uh, when things became catastrophic. Bert Flickinger, we also wanted to talk about inflation, which is essentially a tax on the middle class and poor. It's not. It's getting more out of control. I know they're saying it's what, like eight eight percent now. Is that what the inflation is compared to last year? But it feels like it's it's a lot more, especially when you go to the grocery store. Hey, and and Lydia, to your and John's key point, and your fantastic producer Matt uh, Wanning from a uh, Wall Street Journal article today, uh, citing uh, Xavier. Uh, Aravel from the London School of Economics, the real inflation since um, 2000 uh, to now is really uh, up about 15 percent. And then, as John always references so well, uh, with smaller sizes and higher prices, that adds another 15 percent. Crime, which used to add about half a penny on every dollar of sales, is now close to three cents on every dollar of sales. So the cost of crime's gone up about 500 percent. And the unspoken uh, piece, John and Lydia, is productivity uh, since before the pandemic uh, has declined from anywhere from 15 percent at retail to 50 percent. And you look at uh, Jack Futterman and uh, Jim Donald and Jimmy Mullins at Franklin Square, the store that was in uh, Goodfellas, uh, the Pathmark. Uh, Night Crew used to do 400 cases uh, per person uh, per eight-hour shift. Uh, now you go to a, go to a Whole Foods or Target. You're lucky if they're doing 50 cases. So uh, between you add it all up, and in three years, inflation is approaching 60 percent. And the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence data reflects uh, that people are are really really scared, and uh, that their uh, current economic conditions versus prior year, uh, the outlook's down 20 percent. So. So on a bipartisan basis, to John's point, we need to take corrective action. And one of the things in the blizzard of 77 that uh, John uh, knows so well is Governor Hugh Carey's family was in the energy business. So they had plenty of energy supply, plenty of warning, uh, plenty of pipelines, plenty of refining. All that went away. 
uh, after the blizzard of 77 and inflation starts uh, with higher costs of energy. And if they're in uh, artificially inflated in, in America, so Bird, we Ed, can't Ed, reflect Ed, the savings from our good neighbors in uh, Canada and Mexico and uh, across America. Bird, Ed Cox here. So consumer confidence is, is at a really all-time low, according to the Michigan su- uh, survey. Uh, yet unemployment is also at a, a lowest level it's been in a long time. And is a con- the question is, is the consumer still buying, though? Are they still supporting the economy? Uh, the consumer's still buying, uh, but the areas that are uh, re- uh, really interesting, uh, Chairman Cox, is is that uh, auto sales, uh, which are about uh, 15, uh, 1.5 1. trillion or, or uh, close to 20% of the economy, auto sales are down and quote unquote hard goods, uh, furniture, sporting goods, consumer electronics are down. So uh, people are just buying food now. And the Wall Street Journal article said, said that uh, 15% of people can't afford to make minimum balances on uh, credit cards. So we're going to have a retail recession of epic proportions going into 2023 as consumers just can't catch up. And the Wall Street Journal cited a uh, family of six in New Jersey, uh, police officer, uh, patrolman, and his uh, uh, executive assistant wife. They were making close to 185000 and uh, their kids asked for no presents, uh, just cash, so they'd be able to afford things uh, week to week uh, going to and from school. It is so Bird. sad what's going on. Judge Weinberg? Bird, it's Richard Weinberg. What I'm very troubled about is the closing down of the retail stores. That has an enormous impact on consumers being able to get goods. For example, large number of the drugstores, and the grocery stores are closing down in metropolitan areas. What's your thought about that? Judge Weinberg, uh, you, uh, you're, you're so present in, in, in um, uh, your knowledge of the past, pre- present, and future. And retail is, is, and uh, fast food restaurants is where most people uh, start his or her career. And now uh, about 20% of those Guys, jobs we're out of time. Three years. Thank you, Bert Flickinger. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. In Arizona, Democrat Chris Mays is the winner of Arizona's attorney general race. A state judge announced this. Mays defeated Republican Abe Hamaday by only 280 votes after a mandatory recount was triggered just to because of how close they were in that initial November vote. So this is incredible. Just 280 votes separated the two, and a Democrat has now won the Arizona Attorney General's race. And we also have some more breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. Curtis Lewa, the man with the red hat. No, not Santa Claus. Curtis Lewa, another guy very famous for what he does. He is down at that pot store in the East Village that just opened up a little over an hour ago. Curtis Lewa, tell us what is going on. Long line. Are they high as a kite? Uh, well, there's a long line. And obviously, as you pointed out, Lydia, it's the first legally licensed pot shop in New York State. But I can tell you, just watching uh, as the uh, customers are being processed, New Jersey has done it so much better, like they did uh, no cash bail better. They've done the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana and its sale in licensed states in New Jersey 10 times better. 
But before I even came here on the corner of Astor Place and Broadway, I went into Washington Square Park where they've been dealing marijuana illegally since the days of the beatniks in the 1960s. <laughs> they, had, they had about 24 tables out. They were selling all kinds of marijuana products. And remember, they can sell it cheaper. They can give you credit. You can test the product. They'll deliver it for you. And they don't have the overhead of a brick-and-mortar store with all the salaries, workers' compensation and such. I just think when it comes to price, the black market will crush the New York State legal marijuana uh, stores because they just they open too late and they don't really have a plan to open more. So, Curtis, this is uh, David Patterson. Did the store actually open exactly at 420? 420, exactly. They cut the ribbon. People were doing puff, puff, pass. They were celebrating just like they do on April 20th, all the potheads. They were blazing away. They were having a party. But I got to tell you, I was looking at it. No cops around. No cops in Washington Square Park. Boy, (laughs) I got to tell you, David Patterson, New York State's got a long way to go to catch up to the black market. Weed wagons were out. Marijuana dealers were out. It's like, I don't know how New York State can compete. They just waited way too long to get back on track. Again, we always think we can do it better than Jersey. We should have done it the Jersey way. Curtis, this is Ed Cox, but doesn't this basically legalize marijuana in the black market? I mean, uh, oh, and, and uh, 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 Ed, it's been legal anyway. Yeah. There are no arrests, there are no ticketing. Uh, it's been decriminalized for years. And I'll tell you this much. Uh, now you've got massive competition. The question is, will people now end up using the product who never wanted the product because it's so plentiful, it's so available? And what impact is it going to have on those who are under the age of 21 who cannot legally purchase? It's going to have a negative impact on them, but there's no turning back the clock on this. It's legal in New York State, and the black market has been thriving. All these empty storefronts, that's why landlords are renting them up to pop-up shops, illegal weed shops, because they pay in cash. The other problem that the legally licensed stores have is that they can't open up a bank account because the federal government still has established marijuana as a level one drug equal to heroin or fentanyl, which is ridiculous. But as a result of that, they can't open up a bank account. And I'm telling you over time, just from my street smarts, there will be stick-up kids hanging up outside, and when those who are operating close up at night, watch all the crimes that take place, watch all the robberies. Well, and Curtis, I think that there is another issue, which is it took them so long to open up the first store. And uh, the institutional uh, problems are going to continue as this goes on. Oh, no doubt. But it's, for instance, if we wanted to open up a grocery store or a supermarket, we go to people who've done it before, like John Katsimatidis and his competitors. They decided, unlike Jersey and other states, they were going to take brand new entrepreneurs who never operated a brick and mortar store, never operated retail, who've been arrested before for selling marijuana and give them the first opportunity with no mentorship, no guidance. You can't do that. you you got to have some kind of a corporate model to do this. Colorado has it. California has it. Other states have it. But, again, 
what do I have to say about New York? We're omnipotent. We're pretentious. We think we do everything better. I just say, look at the no-cash bail. Jersey has had no-cash bail. They do it 10 times better than us. They have legal sales of recreational use of marijuana. They rolled it out faster. It's more corporately controlled. And they're doing better in getting the tax revenue, which was the whole purpose of legalization. Judge Weinberg, you had a question? Well, I actually have a point. Everybody's talking about the sale business model. Nobody's talking about the bad public health impacts, the threat to public safety by having people. They're going to turn our kids into dope addicts. It's sending a a wrong message to kids. You have to remember this. Marijuana is a gateway drug to higher drug usage, other drugs. The the kids' brains aren't formed until they're 26 years of age. This causes enormous brain damage. This is the undermining of this country. It's very, very bad public policy, and Curtis is absolutely right. They're not going to make money out of it, so it's uh, it's illusory. So they're destroying the youth, and they're not going to make money out of Curtis, it. Curtis, we got to go to a break. Thank you so much for calling in and giving us the scoop on uh, what's going on downtown. And uh, me and Curtis will be on from uh, right in the morning in place of Sid and uh, – and then I'll be on after you guys. You're going to be on from what, uh, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., correct? No, Curtis will be on 6 to 10. Okay. And he's going to be on th- uh, 3 to 5. Uh, but you're going to be on, too. Yeah. I'm going to be on 7 to 10. That's correct. And then I'll be on 10 to 12. But, yeah, Curtis See, doesn't I'm sleep. I'm Curtis. I need an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> and, then, and then Curtis again at noon. He doesn't sleep. He lives here. I think you need to get him a bed, John. Boy, he knows the street, doesn't he? Wow. He, you know he knows it all WABC about a lot of things. For. Yeah, always well, broadcasting thank, thank, cats. Thank Curtis. you, Curtis. I'll see you in the morning. You got it. Let's thank go you. to that break. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. And that breaking news coming from John Solomon, intrepid investigative journalist, John Solomon of com. What do you have for us? Well, listen, a lot of people are still frustrated. Some of them might still be in airports trying to get a flight to wherever they were supposed to go this holiday season. For a lot of people who know what was going on with uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, this was a slow-motion train wreck that he just failed to stop. Back in November, three Democratic uh, senators, three members of his own party, wrote Buttigieg saying, hey, you do not have a handle on this. You're on talk shows saying, I got this holiday thing covered. We don't think you got it covered, and consumers are really going to be upset if you don't get this right. In fact, one of the great lines in their letter, a lot of people didn't notice this letter, but uh, they, they pushed Buttigieg saying, you haven't put enough consumer protections in place. Quote, consumers deserve stronger protections. They really forewarned of this holiday travel mess that we're all living through right now, this nightmare. Uh, He just simply didn't have his eye on the ball. And for a guy who has had big presidential ambitions, he ran in 2020. A lot of people think he's gearing up for 2024, 2028 as a young progressive Democrat. His stewardship of the Transportation Department, and particularly a growing uh, crisis of airline cancellations, airline consumer complaints, He's dropped the ball, and I think a lot of people are going to be uh, taking it out on him. He's, uh, if you look out there today, Bernie Sanders took a big poke at him on Twitter. Uh, Maria Cantwell took a, po- a poke at him on, on Twitter. The three senators who saw this train wreck coming had it right in their November letter. Unfortunately, the Transportation Secretary didn't do a lot between then and this Christmas holiday season to, to get on top of this. Now, I'm, I used to be in the airline business, and I think there's more than people know 
uh, because out of 6,000 flights today, uh, I think uh, 2,500 got canceled. I mean, and uh, three, 400 of them got delayed. That doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, they've been having labor strikes. And to me, nobody's talking about the pilots calling in sick. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, this is a, a, a it's a multi. I mean, a, a, a multi-tier problem. And the, the CEO and, and, and the top executives had to know that they're going to cancel 2,500 out of 6,000. And they should have let these people know. Yeah. Why have exactly. them hang around the room for six hours at the airport? That's, that is, you know, that, that is horrible. Yeah, there's no doubt. We've interviewed a bunch of pilots and, uh, flight attendants and union officials. This, this storm has been brewing for a couple of years now. I'll give you a couple of really fascinating, uh, statistics a lot of people haven't seen. Uh, for the year going into November, 3% of all flights during 2022 were being canceled. So even in good weather, we were missing a lot of flights. Uh, flights were delayed 21% of the time. That's up a significant amount. Customer complaints went up 255% between January and November, according to these Democratic senators. I got to give these Democratic senators credit. They were on the ball. They saw this storm. They, they pulled all this data together and said, hey, Mr. Secretary, what are you doing? He didn't have a good response. And as a result, we walked into the holidays uh, with a crisis that a lot of the people saw coming. Bad software, short labor shortages, pilot uh, sickens, um, all of that combining with bad weather to create, I think, one of the worst uh, travel seasons we've ever seen in American history. How did uh, Southwest compare to the other airlines? I mean, we they what they canceled, what, 2,500 out of 6,000 flights? How did the other airlines do? During yeah, from what storm? we can tell, South, uh, all the airlines had problems. Southwest was uh, by far the outlier, much worse than any other airline and the slowest to recover. I think that's the big concern. And Democrats saw this coming. Their own party saw their own administration uh, in a position to drop the ball. That's why they sent this very cogent letter. And but all, Because they saw the data over the, this year, lots of flight cancellations, lots of delays, lots of consumer complaints. They knew that this holiday travel season was about to be a disaster. Unfortunately, uh, the Transportation Department and its secretary, Pete Buttigieg, didn't get enough on the ball before it happened. Another article that I saw on justthenews.com, a state judge ruling late Wednesday that Illinois' uh, oh. Safety Act was unconstitutional. So this is this is a major win. First, explain to our listeners what the Safety Act is. And, of course, this is a lax uh, bail law, cashless bail. And this is definitely a win for prosecutors, right? It is. A hundred of 102 of the county prosecutors in Illinois sued, saying that this law would create public insecurity, public safety crisis. And they were able to get in the court. What is it? This is a law that creates basically cashless uh, bail for nearly all defendants, including many violent offenders. The prosecutors were against it. Some legislators were not aware of what they were voting for, when they voted for, at least they claim that. And yet it was proceeding to take effect on January 1st. A judge in Kankakee County, Illinois, last night, late last night, about 10 o'clock last night, issued a ruling saying this law violates the Constitution's state constitution's requirements. He's put a hold on it, which is giving prosecutors and police a big sigh of relief that it won't take effect January 1st. 
This is going to be appealed. Remarkably, this cashless bail law looks a lot like some of the reforms that people are upset with in New York, but a little bit more expansive. It's temporarily on hold until this court uh, intervenes or until an appellate uh, judge overrules it. So a big win for law and order advocates in Illinois right now. Now, I'm hearing that the this is our last question. We just got about a minute left. The omnibus bill, the $1.7 trillion budget bill, has to be signed. And President Biden is in the Virgin Islands. Is it true they have to fly it over to him so he can sign it while he's sunning and having a margarita? <laughs> that's how they do it. Yes, they bring it to him if he can't, if he's not here in town. That's happened many times before in history. But I think the symbolics, when, when you, I think what Biden, the Biden administration goes into the new year with was a, is a lot of bad optics. Pete Buttigieg, uh, uh, not able to handle and be ahead of this airline crisis. Joe Biden in the Virgin Islands, relaxing. Uh, while the storm was brewing in November, he was up uh, in Martha's Vineyard, the president was. People were suffering, uh, maybe canceling their or shrinking back their holiday plans. There seems to be a disconnect and a tone deafness between the optics of Joe Biden and the reality of what Americans are suffering through this holiday season. Well, thank you so much, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. And That's Happy just New the Year. News.com. And a Happy, happy New, New Year, year John, if we don't well. talk to you. God bless, thank and thank you for keeping all Americans in, informed. Thank you. It's an honor to do so. Thank you. Now, before we get to our next guest, I wanted to ask you, Governor Patterson at, at Cox, first uh, governor, what did you think about George Santos? It seems like he just, I don't know if he can dig himself out of this one. It reminds me of something that was said in an old movie called The King Mutiny when Fred McMurray uh, incited Van Johnson into committing a mutiny and then got on the witness stand and denied having anything to do about it. And when it became uh, time for the defense to question him, Jose Ferrer wouldn't do it. And Van Johnson says, why aren't you going to do it? And he said, because every time he opens his mouth, he makes it worse. Wow. And so now he's uh, said that he embellished his resume. Now he says he didn't say he was Jewish. He said he's Jewish, which, by the way, is more insulting because now you have taken an entire ethnic group and said that they're all like something that you are. Governor, you're, you're bringing up a, a very basic point here. He keeps talking and trying to explain the unexplainable, and he's violating the rule, political rule of holes. That is, when you're deep in a hole, <laughs> stop digging. <laughs> he should have said his piece, and that was it. And he wants to keep talking. And. You know, Ed Cox, you were the state Republican chairman. What's what's his future looking like? You have well, Nassau County D.A. and Donnelly. I mean, she's as straight of an arrow as you could possibly be. Sure. She's investigating him. I, I don't know. I, it looks like so the far, 700 something thousand dollars so, that he put to his campaign. Uh, yeah, it looks pretty shady. But so far, there is no criminality at this point. There might be. She's investigating. But if there's not, he's a congressman elect. Look, many congressmen have a. Uh, been fraudulent on their on their resumes. Uh, Senator Blumenthal, he went to Vietnam and didn't even come close to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so there uh, he is the congressman elect and he is part of a four how, a Republican majority in the House. And that's why it's going to be a big issue. Absolutely. Okay, well, we've got uh, Paul Lunces on the line with us right now. Paul Lunces, how are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? We're doing well. So uh, you are you began your investment career working for Royce and Associates and you founded Lunsis Lunsis Asset Management. Um, So Wall Street gains, jobless claims. uh, Tell us what's going on. 
Well, the the market, you know, year to date, what's interesting is a lot of the less growthy indexes like the Dow, the Dow's only down about 9% roughly year to date. The NASDAQ's down 34, 35, and the S&P's down in the 1920 range. Um, what's really happening is a lot of the more traditional companies are coming back a little bit, and they haven't been hurt as much. I mean, Apple's down 29%, Microsoft 30% year to date, Google 40%, Amazon 50 Tesla's really got in nailed and many others, but some of the traditional companies, PepsiCo up year to date's up four six, J and J three point three, obviously the oils, Exxon seventy seven up, Chevron up fifty one. So it's really been the growth securities have really been hurt. They were really overvalued and they're coming back um a little bit down to earth. So, you know, that's really what's happening overall with the market. Um, in terms of growth versus um, the regular companies. Unemployment, I think their numbers are coming out tomorrow, uh, what the claims will be. I think that's the only major piece uh, that's coming out tomorrow. Um, and they're anticipating, I think, 225 or, or 250,000. Um, but I think it's really a story. The market's really a story of what's going to happen with interest rates. Are they going to raise them? The Fed meets January 31st and February 1st, March 15th and 16th. People are anticipating 25 basis point increases at both of those, but that'll be dependent on the data when they get the inflation numbers for December and early January and when they get the data in March um, for uh, February. So the Fed's going to be flexible, but the real concern is how much are rates going to go up? Let's assume it's 25 each time. But the real question is, how long are rates going to stay elevated? That's really the question. They they say, uh, Ed Cox here, Paul, they say you you shouldn't fight the Fed. But isn't the the fiscal side of the House here uh, uh, fighting the Fed in that the deficit is more than a trillion, 1.4 trillion, I think, in this because of this ominous bill? Uh, The Fed's that's going to keep being inflationary. The Fed's going to have to do something about it. So don't interest rates keep going up? You know, that's a really good point. And then our, our total debt is, 30, you know, over $31 trillion, I believe yeah. now. That could, everything you're saying could really be the case. Um, and people aren't really addressing that. And in addition to the debt that's out there, don't forget the Fed is reducing their balance sheet. Um, and that's also creating – may create some liquidity issues in the financial markets, treasuries, corporates, municipals, et cetera. So there's a lot of things going on. And then the final point I would make, um, in addition to the interest rates and how long they're going to stay elevated fighting inflation, is what's going to happen to earnings. Uh, costs are rising. Geo, you know, Globalization is slowing. Companies and countries are focusing domestically in their own markets to build and make product. You can't be reliable as much on foreign. Germany with Russia, for example, the U.S. with China. So we're bringing some of that home or near home in Mexico or Canada. Um, And so the question is, what are earnings going to do next year? Paul, if the CEOs are ahead of the curve, the earnings will be okay. If they're not ahead of the curve, then uh, they're going to have bad earnings. I agree with that, John. If they're not preparing for it, I, I agree with that 100%. And, and the question also becomes, what's going to happen? Could we get tipped into a recession, given all the things we've discussed? If well, that happens, the markets will certainly react negatively. I, I still think that uh, we're going to be, uh, that uh, 
we're going to pause uh, the the interest uh, raises. Let's see what happens. We'll know soon. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Lydia. Thank you, Governor Patterson. Thank you, Ed Cox. And um, another great show. We, we, we tell the truth. And, and Judge truth Weinberg, to, what do we stand for? And Judge for? Weinberg. Truth. See, I don't see him. Yeah. Truth, justice, justice and, and the American, American way. way. God bless America. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.